Satvatsanjayate Gyanam Rajaso Loba Evacha Pramada Mohao Tamaso Babato Gyanam Evacha From the mode of goodness, real knowledge develops. From the mode of passion, greed develops. And from the mode of ignorance, develop foolishness, madness, and illusion. Umajana Trimanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshuran Militanyena, Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha, was born in the darkness of ignorance. My spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So last week we left off, and Krishna had pointed out at that time that in verse 10, sometimes one mode of material nature is prominent and the other two subside to a certain extent. So sometimes goodness is prominent, sometimes passion is prominent, sometimes ignorance is prominent. Now in the verses we're going to review tonight, starting with text 11, the various consequence in relationship to these three modes when they are predominant are pointed out. And they're pointed out first by symptoms, uh, then uh, the results of one's life after death, what are the results of uh, the predominance of one of these nodes, how does one work in the world, and what are the results of his work when one of these modes are prominent. Then he conclu- what we're going to cl- conclude tonight with uh, text number 19 and 20. And in 19 and 20, uh, Krishna makes a distinction as to the, the, the path to liberation simply by understanding these modes. Again, knowledge will set you free. It's basically what Krishna is saying. Let's look at, the, look, look at these uh, various verses. And I think it's important to understand when we review these things that uh, Vedic knowledge gives us not only the, the positive, but also the negative characteristics of a thing. So let's say that you are in the market for gold. You need to know what is gold, and you also need to know what isn't gold. And then you can make a, a, a knowledgeable uh, purchase. Gold has certain characteristics, but there's also fool's gold. Mm-hmm. And it has kind of like the same characteristics. Mm-hmm. Or if you go to the marketplace and you want to buy a nice uh, silk, sorry for the wife or for the deity, you have to know what is real silk. In today's age, you could buy all kinds of of fabric, which are simply made of plastic. And you won't, unless you're really knowledgeable, you can be fooled. People can take advantage of you in the marketplace. So similarly, when it comes to transcendental knowledge, we need to know what is and what isn't. And those characteristics are necessary to have a proper understanding of a thing. If we want to advance in spiritual life, we have to know what is transcendent activity, transcendental consciousness, spiritual consciousness, uh, that's not influenced by this material environment, and we need to know what are the characteristics of 
activities within this environment that are under the control of the Lord's external material potency. So the Lord has his internal potency and his external potency. His external potency is meant to keep us in illusion. And his internal potency is there to to uplift us and situate us properly in our spiritual nature and in a position of, of selfless, loving service, which will give us complete freedom and complete envelopment in our true nature of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. So we need, we need to know, and Krishna is going to, in these last chapters of Bhagavad Gita, give very detailed knowledge as to the characteristics and the results and the, I mean, he covers the modes of material nature from every different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And with this knowledge, we can properly understand what our activities in this material world and how they influence the living entity. And also what are transcendental activities what is activity in the mode of unalloyed devotional service? Texts 11, 12, and 13 deal with the symptoms of the three modes of material nature. So, text 11. The manifestation of the mode of goodness can be experienced when all the gates of the body are illumined by knowledge. And if you read this week's verses in the purport, uh, Krishna point, I mean... Srila Prabhupada points out that the gates of the body are illumined. What does that actually mean? It means that through the gates of the knowledge, we can perceive true knowledge. Our hearing becomes fine. It becomes tuned in to what's actually beneficial. It's not mislaid by uh, uh, gramya katha, village talk. We don't get drug into that, that in the, mode of ignorance, in the mode of goodness, if we're situated in that mode, then knowledge, the knowledge acquiring senses are going to give us satisfaction. They're going to, they're, they're going to give us <coughs> viable information, good knowledgeable information, and that is going to put us, it's going to make us happy. Actually, mode of goodness, that coming in is, is happiness. Uh, to the spirit soul. The eyes, the ears, the nose, all, all the knowledge acquiring and also the working senses, they become illumined for one who is in the mode of goodness. The mode of goodness, Prabhupada also points out, is cleansing. We actually feel like we're making progress in life, that we're not being dragged down. These are the characteristics in these three verses the symptoms of the modes are being pointed out by Krishna. Mode of goodness, all the gates of the body give a, bring us knowledge and, and give us a sense of well-being in that we understand things properly. Next verse goes on to the mode of passion. O chief of the Bharats, when there is an increase in the mode of passion, the symptoms of great attachment Food of activity, intense endeavor, and uncontrollable desire and hankering develop. It's kind of self-explanatory. 
motive passion activities Krishna will point out these kind of activities simply result in misery to the spirit soul this passion activity passionate activity the desire of passion is to satisfy the senses although there may be some small happiness in satisfying the senses ultimately that happiness will will end in misery uh, it doesn't give us happiness when we're engaged in it. And we can see the motive of passion and ignorance, especially in society today, if, you, if you're walking down the street in a major city, like, you know, the hustle bustle of the city, look at the face. The face is it's an index to people's mind. Look at the faces of the people. Are they happy? They're rushing here and there, but what, what is, what's the index of the mind saying? They're not content. They're struggling so much to keep their job, to maintain their job, to make their money, to be on time, to, to accomplish so many things. All that activity is not leading to a sense of well-being. It's simply leading to more passion. That's the, nation of, that's the nature of passion and activity. It's a, it just keeps, keeps one completely involved in those kind of endeavors. Moving on to ignorance, the symptom of ignorance. When there is an increase in the mode of ignorance, O son of Kuru, darkness, inertia, madness, and illusion are manifested. Now Krishna goes on the next two verses to point out what are the destination of people who are overcome by these particular modes. Now remember, in the 10th verse, Krishna said that one mode predominates. One mode predominates, but all the modes are mixed together. And when we really look at how the modes of material nature affect the living entity, the primary effect, of course, is determined by the body. Within a particular body, the living entity is conditioned and he's more or less stuck. If you're in the body of a tagger, the passionate mode of, of the tagger, that's, that's going to be the predominant way. We can see that the body, especially in the lower species of life, the body determines how the living entity acts within the material world. It predominates, and that predominance is effective. So if you look at the plant life, plant life is, is, is in the mode of ignorance. It's practically unconscious. It's only, its only consciousness is to seek to grow up. You know, that's, it doesn't have any more than that predominant, predominant mode of ignorance. Krishna goes on, and what, so first the symptoms in the first verses, 11, 12, 13, what are the symptoms of the modes? Then we go on in the next two verses. We're looking at uh, verses 14 and 15. What are the results of leaving the body in a particular mode? So when one dies in the mode of goodness, he attains the pure higher planets of the great sages. So upliftment is there for one who's, who becomes situated 
in the mode of goodness in his life, he can look forward to a better destination. When one dies in the mode of passion, he takes birth among those engaged in fruitive activities. And Prabhupada points out in the purport, he takes birth in the earthly planets. And when one takes, when one dies in the mode of ignorance, he takes birth in the animal kingdom. And in the purport, Prabhupada points out that sometimes there's a misconception in human society that when once you attain to the human form of life, once you have gone up to that level of human life, you cannot fall from that position. And that actually is not the case. If you, even though you have a human life, if you act like an animal, uh, there's a chance you can fall back down into a lower body. A very unfortunate situation, but it can happen. First, the symptoms of the modes. What are the symptoms? Then, what is the result of being influenced by the particular modes? How does, the, how does that influence determine one's future existence? How does, how does death uh, reward one according to the mode that he, that's prominent when one leaves the body? Going on to text 16, and what we're going to deal with now is what, what are the works according to the works of, a, of someone who's influenced prominently by a particular mode and the results of that work. So, text 16, the result of pious action is pure and is said to be in the mode of goodness. But action done in the mode of passion results in misery, and action performed in the mode of ignorance results in foolishness. And Prabhupada is very stern in the purport to this verse uh, as to the necessity of everyone who's come to this human form of life to at least not be influenced so much by the mode of ignorance and passion that they engage in the abominable activity of meat-eating. And it's simply a matter of knowledge. Uh, anyone who had knowledge of the fact that if we, if we inflect... Uh, if we kill another living entity simply for our tongue, uh, the, the result is, is going to be disastrous for us because we're opening ourselves up to the stringent laws of material nature. In human society, we know that if, if one takes another person's life in any civilized society, the result is uh, they should lose their life. They would be hanged. Unfortunately, some people, even coming to the human form of life, are so much covered over by the mode of ignorance that they do not believe that, the, that there is even a soul in lower life forms. And therefore, they, they actually think that because of that, if they kill an animal simply for their tongue, that would be uh, certainly acceptable. And it's interesting, uh, just in saying that, I remember... Prabhupada meeting with one cardinal 
was that in London? France. France. Yes. That was the first. That was the. That was the first. The cardinal and him are speaking, and you could see Prabhupada was getting more and more anxious during this in the video. And finally, he just he just comes out with, "Well, what about the animals?" And you have this conception that they have no soul. And the cardinal's like, yeah, they have no soul. Yeah. And he says, you, how, how, can you, how can you even, how can you arrive at such a conclusion? It's like in trying to deal with some, that level of ignorance from a supposed religious person, it was just overwhelming. I mean, Prabhupada was like, this is the this is the big foundation, the beginning of spiritual understanding as to the difference between the soul and matter, and you can't understand that that animals also have soul. You think you have the right to to take the life of another living entity, uh, and you have a misconception that they have no soul. What is the question of moving forward in spiritual understanding until this misconception? is corrected in your consciousness. Uh, Prabhupada, in the purport to the 16th verse here, he, he speaks uh, about the significance of if you want to develop any knowledge, if you want to rise at all to the mode of goodness, we have to give up this meat-eating. And specifically, we have to give up the killing of the cow and he quotes a verse, Namo Brahmanya Devaya, Go Brahmanya Hataya Cha, Jigat Hitaya Krishnaya, Govindaya Namo Namaha, Namo Brahmanya. Uh, Krishna finds great satisfaction in, in the Brahmin class, the, the people that are, that are working for the upliftment of society. Go Brahmanya Hitaya Cha, and in the protection of the cows. So Krishna is a well-wisher for the brahmanas. He's the well-wisher for the cows. Jagat Detaya Krishnaya Govindaya Namonamaha. That's why uh, the distribution of prasadam is so very important for the uh, furtherance of Krishna consciousness uh, in modern society. If we can at least get them to, to appreciate Krishna prasadam, that is one step in the right direction. And in, as long as human society and the leadership in human society supports the wanton slaughter of animals, the society is ultimately doomed. And there's nothing we as devotees can do in such a society except try to inject some level of Krishna conscious uh, exposure but the society is ultimately it's it's all of the destruction all the all the death in war the pestilence the disease is created by this major sinful activity text 17 from the mode of goodness real knowledge develops from the mode of passion greed develops and from the mode of ignorance develop foolishness foolishness Madness and illusion. Text 18. Those situated in the mode of goodness gradually go upward to the higher planets. Those situated in the mode of passion 
live on the earthly planets. And those in the abominable mode of ignorance go down to hellish worlds. Now, text 7, 19 and 20, Krishna explains the result of simply understanding how these modes work, what the symptoms of the modes are, what the destinations after death are of one situated in the modes, what the work and results of those works are as influenced by the modes of material nature. And then text 19, when one properly sees that in all activities no other performer is at work than these modes of nature, and he knows that the Supreme Lord, who is transcendental to all these modes, and he knows the Supreme Lord, who is true, is transcendental to all these modes, he attains my spiritual nature. So we've heard this before, haven't we? Attaining Krishna's spiritual nature. Just to understand that this knowledge of trans of transcendental of Krishna's transcendental energy, this knowledge of our true spiritual nature in and of itself is sufficient to award one liberation, freedom. Krishna goes on in the 20th text to say what? Freedom from birth, death, old age, and disease. To attain Krishna's very nature. Now when we, when we read a text like this in Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna is speaking of just having this understanding is sufficient to grant one spiritual knowledge, to grant one freedom from the material world. It's also very important that we understand how we acquire this knowledge. It's not a mundane affair. It's not simply a, an act of, of, of studying some book. And Krishna makes that clear at the, at the end of this chapter. What's he say at the end of the chapter regarding devotional service? I'm sorry, not the last verse, the 26th verse. Mamchayo bhyabhichirena bhakti yogena sevati sagunan samitityaitan brahmabhuyaya kalpate so it's not only just the knowledge, but we have to work according to that knowledge. One who engages in full devotional service and failing in all circumstances at once transcends the modes of material nature and thus comes to the level of Brahman. So the knowledge, having the knowledge certainly liberates one. But in order for that liberation to take full effect, you have to work in that knowledge. You can't just simply be idle. You have to work on the transcendental plane, on the spiritual platform, if you want such knowledge to be effective in your life. So when the embodied being is able to transcend these three modes associated with the material body, he can become from free from birth, death, old age, and their distresses, and can enjoy nectar even in, the, in this life. It's like a benediction, just having the knowledge, knowledge of the modes of material nature. And the benediction is we can actually, by seeing the distinction of how the spirit soul is influenced by the modes of material nature, 
and understanding that the modes are actually the factor, the energy that's conducting the spirit soul in the material energy. In other words, we have to understand that no matter what the embodiment of the soul is, that we're distinct from that embodiment. That's spiritual knowledge. In the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, second chapter, Krishna makes it quite clear that we're spirit soul. To see that we're spirit soul, to understand that as the soul continually passes in this body, from boyhood to youth to old age, it passes into another body. But it remains unchanged. It can't be withered by the wind. It can't be moistened by water. It's, it has a different characteristic. And its characteristic is the same as my characteristic. So throughout Bhagavad Gita, all this knowledge is being given by Krishna just so we can come to an understanding that when we see activities in the material world and when we perceive that we are the doer in this world, that actually we, are, we have an influence. Of course we have an influence, but in essence, our influence is very, very limited. Within this material world, we are controlled more by the environment than we can ever control the environment. Very limited control we have. Very limited. And that, that is primarily determined by the body we receive. Now, we have a human body. If we act in the mode of goodness and, most, and our activities are conducted with the aspiration for knowledge and to and to uplift ourselves, we'll still have a material body, but it'll be a better material body. We'll go up to the, to, the, to the higher planets where we live for thousands of years. And because we've more or less conquered over, more or less, remember, as long as we're in the material world, the modes are mixed. They're also mixed on the higher planets, but predominantly goodness. They're mixed in the lower planets, predominantly ignorance. And this earthly planet and this earthly sphere, predominantly passion. But there's always goodness and ignorance mixed in with the passion. There's ignorance and passion mixed in with the goodness. There's goodness and passion mixed in with the ignorance. So three, three, then nine, then 81, and the, and the mixtures are there. So these verses dealt with when one mode is predominant, these, these characteristics we can see as far as symptoms of one's life, these characteristics we can see as far as the destination after death, these characteristics we see as far as activities in work and the results of those, that kind of work. If we can understand that predominantly within this world, Things are working under the influence of these modes, but the spirit soul, our true self, is completely distinct. 
from this influence. If we can simply come to that understanding, that's spiritual knowledge. If we can under, simply understand that our true self, our true being, our true nature is one of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, just like the Supreme Lord. If we can understand that, and if we can not only have knowledge of it, but practical experience of it in this life, then we're liberated. And the result of liberation is we can experience life on the transcendental plane even while embodied. Isn't that what Krishna is saying in the 20th verse? Amrita, nectar. You can take the, taste the nectar of your spiritual existence even in this world by simply having this knowledge and working according to it. But we have to work according to that knowledge. Mamchayo bhyabhichrena bhakti yogena sevati sagunan samititaitam sagunan above the modes we can arise above the modes of material nature by working on the transcendental platform, even in this world. Again, the analogy is there. If you take an iron rod, so right now we have this body, and this body has been giving, given to us according to the influence of the modes of material nature. We've been destined to take this body based on our prior activities and desires. So this is where we are now. If we take this situation, this body, this shetra, this field of activities, and we engage it in transcendental works, works that are above the modes of material nature, how can we distinguish a work is above the modes of material nature? How do we know? Where do we get that knowledge? Perform the devotional service. And how do we know what's devotional service and what's material service? Well, I follow what my, my guru tells me. Yes. We take direction from higher authority. <coughs> we surrender to higher authority, understanding that their interest is our best interest. Their direction is our direction. If and to the extent that we take that knowledge and work according to that knowledge, Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, as we surrender to that higher authority, which is just Krishna, Krishna's manifestation, Krishna's saying in Bhagavad Gita, you act like this, he's become Arjuna's guru. Similarly, we have guru. We have Krishna. We have the association of devotees. We have Shastra. And these things can direct us. These are the kind of activities that are devotional. These are the things that are transcendental. These are the things that will not bind. It's important to understand this is a gradual process. We have to purify our existence. And emphasis is given in this primer of spiritual instruction as to being able to perceive 
the various modes of material nature and seeing how do they affect how are they affecting us how 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 does this affect my life simple example you're practicing devotees you get up and you chant when you get up early in the morning and chant it's very easy to chant your consciousness is fixed it's very easy to hear you can feel the ease simply by the influence of that time of day. The mode of goodness in the Brahma Mahorta hour, in the early hours of the day, for meditation, for spiritual practice, is very favorable. If you sleep in and you still have your regiment of rounds to chant, and it's now middle of, the, middle of the afternoon or getting to even, evening. How easy is it to chant those same rounds? Not the same. Uh-uh. To struggle. To concentrate is difficult. The influence of the mode of goodness has waned as the hours of the day have gone forward. And what was once, what spiritual activities were easy under the influence of the mode of goodness in the early day, under the influence of passion and ignorance later in the day, it's very difficult to do spiritual activity. Very difficult to chant and to concentrate. Unless you're always on the transcendental platform. For us, being conditioned, the time of day makes a difference. And the spiritual master directs like that. You want to you chant and concentrate and make... You get up early and you, you perform. It becomes very easy. And not only is it easy, it's relishable. Amrita, as Krishna points out in this 20th verse. Even now, in this environment, as we stick the iron of our existence in the fire of devotional practice... It, we become spiritualized. Our body becomes spiritualized. Our mind, our senses become illumined. And we, we can perform things and taste spiritual enjoyment. So much so that as we practice more and more, that relish for spiritual life increases. Just like Bhagavad Gita, you read it. The second time you read it, it's more enlightening. The third, more, fourth, fifth, a hundred, two hundred, five hundred. Every time you read, it's more and more enlightening. Every time you chant, the more you chant, it becomes sweeter, it becomes more relishable. Now every week we chant Sri Siksastika. It's a road map to spiritual advancement in this material world. Everything is there. Ata, shrada, tata, sadhu, sangoza, bhajana, kriya. We begin, up, begin with a little bit of faith, shrada. That little bit of faith takes us into the, into the association of devotees. Sadhu, sangha, bhajana, kriya. We engage in some activities of hearing and chanting. Anartha Nivriti, we become cleansed. Our heart begins to become cleansed. 
once the heart's cleansed, we become steady in spiritual life. And that steadiness brings us a taste. Ruchi, little taste. Sweetness. And from there, there's some affection. We, we become affectionate. We start to understand Krishna's real nature and we develop an affectionate attachment to Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as our ever-well-wisher, uh, as our dear-most friend. We can see he's, he's giving me direction. He's, he's helping. He's giving direction from Guru. He's giving direction from the whole environment, from the association of devotees. So that, that platform, once we reach, reach the platform of steadiness and we, we, get to be, we begin to have a taste and there is a little affection there, then the scope of guru increases. Just like in the beginning, we only see Krishna. The neophyte only sees Krishna in the temple, in the deity form. He has a hard time seeing Krishna in the devotees. But as, as, and he has a hard time seeing any direction coming from any source except Guru is, is he's wary. Is this really the real thing? But as, as we progress, we begin to see that, that Krishna, who is, who is Cheta Guru in the heart, is also giving direction from so many Gurus. In the transcendental realm, everything is giving spiritual direction. Everything is good. We bow down to everything on that plane. Then there is actually some spiritual exchanges, some ecstasy, and uh, then pure love develops. And if you look at the verses we chant every week, you'll see that same progression there. If you just look at those verses, the cleansing of the heart, first of understanding sambandha of the process of devotional service, a little faith, uh, then the, the association with the Bodhis and Lord Chaitanya is saying, but I have no taste for it. The taste is not there yet. I understand the significance of chanting Hare Krishna. I understand the, the significance of following the process of devotional service. But it's, it's, I'm so wrapped up in these modes of material nature, there's no taste. No, nothing's there. I'm chanting, but nothing, nothing is happening. But then, then we learn, if we really want to chant and be successful, we have to become completely subservient. There can't be any tinge of business exchange as we're used to on the material plane. We have to develop humility. And in humbling, humbly chanting the holy name, not with some expectation to exploit on the spiritual plane as we've exploited on the material plane. That humility, then we can chant. Then we can chant with some steadiness. And once we begin to chant with some steadiness, then what? I'm starting to lose taste. The Anarthas are falling away. I don't want followers. I don't want wealth. I don't want women. 
I don't care if I'm, I don't care for liberation even. Whoa. Mama Janmani Janmani Sware. That even falls away. I just want to continue in this service. So pick me up or put me down. Then on, I Nanda Tanujakinkaram. Actually, my highest aspiration is simply to become again some dust in that transcendental realm. Please, Krishna, fix me as just an atom at your lotus feet. But take me to your lotus feet. I have no aspiration above that. Simply take me there. O oh, son of Maharaj Nanda, please place me as an atom at your lotus feet. Mm. All these high ideas, then it goes on. Krishna, I mean, Lord Chaitanya. So we can see the sixastic is so important to us. Simply understanding these eight verses left by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a roadmap for our spiritual advancement, for our spiritual development. And we should be well aware of the roadmap and we should know where on the road we are. So we can progress. So that we can progress, so that we can work and see, ah, I still have no taste for my chanting. I still have to struggle to chant Hare Krishna. I have to struggle to get up in the morning. I have to struggle to read some, some little bit of scripture every day. It's a struggle. It's, it's difficult. Oh, following these regulative principles, such a, I have no taste for this. The taste isn't there. So, what do I have to do? Let me push on beyond this. And what? I have to become humble. Take your medicine. Hmm? Take your medicine. Yes. These ni this 19th and 20th verse speaks to the benediction of the transcendental knowledge of understanding the modes of material <laughs> nature. It speaks to the fact of us acquiring our spiritual nature, which is, what Chris, what's Krishna saying there? Like unto my own. My spiritual nature. We attain Krishna's spiritual nature. We're part and parcel of Krishna. Infinitesimal part, but still our characteristic as Krishna's part and parcel is eternity, knowledge, and bliss. And even though when we are embodied, if you have this knowledge and live according to this knowledge, the result is going to be that you're liberated from the influence of birth, death, old age, and disease. And you will begin to taste your spiritual life even in this body. But the key to that taste is we have to give up working and being influenced by the modes of material nature and we have to work under the direction of higher authority, specifically the spiritual master, and by working under his direction and knowledge, then there's all success. Any questions? Comments, corrections? Next week, we'll finish this chapter. If you look ahead and read ahead, you'll see it's glorious because the end of the chapter, Arjuna wants to know, how can I distinguish who's there spiritually and who isn't? 
That's where we begin. We'll begin next week. Arjuna poses the question. All right, you've talked about those that are influenced by the material nature, and you've talked about those who understand those influences but act on the spiritual platform that are they're actually liberated. How can I tell the difference? I'll stop there. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Well, we can just chant and read all night, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So, I have a question. <clears throat> the question is, do I have an answer? With uh, the say. So you being in mode of goodness or, or you know living that environment with this with this uh, environment of mode of goodness and act in the in the way this mode of goodness is so important. Why Krishna has Garjuna to be engaged in the activities which are very passionate? Because why? Can we really, this material nature is giving us a field of activity, this material body. And the body we have is definitely coming about by what? The influence of the modes of material nature. So, the fact that, of course, goodness is illuminating, but when it comes to spiritual when it comes to engagement on the transcendental platform, whatever influence the body is under is of, is of no significance. We can immediately engage according to whatever our situation is. Okay. So uh, Arjuna, I mean, Arjuna wanted what? What did he say to Krishna at the beginning of Bhagavad Gita? Let me go to goodness. Take me to goodness. Forget this. I don't want to kill people. That's in the motivation. I don't want to have a war. I don't want to fight. Let me go off to the yoga. Let me go be a yogi. Krishna says, you're no yogi. You're not a yogi. Don't kid yourself. You're a kshatriya. You were born in a kshatriya body. That's the car you're driving. You can't change what what your nature is. You can change who you perform your activity for. Even though you have the nature of a kshatriya, that's okay. But you don't have to work under the influence of that nature In material entanglement, even though you're a kshatriya, the expert spiritual master, and in this situation, Krishna is personally Arjuna's spiritual master, says, no, we can engage the body you have in the work that you are, in the work that is your nature, and we can make it transcendental. 
Okay, so if you are engaged in the transcendental activities and you can overcome the mode of nature, why do we need to chant at morning? Hmm? Why do we need to chant at morning? You know, that we, we chant how do you overcome the mode of material nature? Yeah, you know, by being engaged. No, how do you do it? By performing devotional service. How do you perform your devotional service? By offering the results to, to the Lord, by doing it for the pleasure of the Lord. Okay, who explains to you how to perform it? Guru, Sadhu, Shastra. Yes, so what does Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra say about performing your meditation? Well, they say that do it in the morning. Okay, if they said do it at night, if they said do it at night, it would be just as successful for you to do it at night. It doesn't matter. Whatever they say, that's where we take our direction. The fact that their the fact that their instructions coincide generally with the with the material energy that's neither there here or there. What's important for us is to work under their direction. The fact that they fit the pieces together and what's materially advantageous can be used in spiritual you know for our spiritual upliftment. Well, that's nice. It's not necessary. What's necessary for us is Guru Kripa. That's the only thing that will give us spiritual advancement. The mercy of the spiritual master. So if he says get up and you get up, if he says sleep into noon, then you sleep into noon. If he says take grains on John Mostomy because I need you to go to Calcutta and arrange an engagement... That's perfectly acceptable. Bhakti Siddhanta, a John Mastami, the guru, is saying, for you, for you, I have some important service for you. You don't fast. Oh, but it's Krishna's birthday. I have to fast. No. My service that I need done is more important than your fast. You take some rice and you go and do the service. What's most important? The mercy of the guru or the ins- or what? Some ritualistic performance. Even if that ritualistic performance in relationship with Krishna's birthday. Where that fasting is one thing that Krishna really, that we can really do to make spiritual advancement. No. Krishna places the value of pleasing his devotee above his own pleasure. Make sense? Yeah. I think one of the reasons that it's difficult, at least for me, um, to get up early in the morning, I, I perceive it as being some sort of a, a hardship. And so if you've transcended the modes of, you know, the three modes, then it says quite clearly you're not lamenting the fact that you have to get up. You're not lamenting the fact you can't sleep late. You're not happy about this or sad about that. Yeah, you're, you've transcended that. Yeah. So, yeah. That it's not, you don't conceive it as a, a, a burden. So, that's an interesting question. Hmm. And I remember reading it, I was talking to Shamal about it, um, Bhakti Vinod Thakur saying, you know, you have to, and 
Guru Dev says this too, and Prabhupada says this, you know, you have to create a favorable environment for your chanting. If you can't chant all of, you know, what you're going to chant during a day at one time in the morning, at least when you do chant, you need to create a favorable environment. I remember reading, I don't know whether it was Jiva Dharma or where it was, but Bhaktivinoda Thakur saying, if you need to, if you can't concentrate, put a bag over your head, put cotton in your ears, you know, do whatever it takes. If that's what you need to concentrate, it will help. Yes, that's our primary, yes. The guru is telling you, chant. You can be practical about it. But then the guru can sometimes say, oh, you're raising these children. Uh, chanting is not so important now. Minimal chanting means I will, pay, I will accept minimal chanting now. So that's the position of guru. Yeah, he can make told, adjustments. You can't chant, do kirtan, sing, you know, can't do this, do that. And like you said, if this is a work in progress, where <laughs> this is gradual. The, those eight prayers, that's ideal great to shoot for but it's daunting we'll find in Bhagavad Gita Krishna as I said this is pri this is preliminary study of spiritual existence but Krishna is trying uh, you know let's let's begin here let's, let's at least get out of the mode of passion and ignorance yeah. if you can do that at least give up this meat eating give up this foolish wars give up this exploitative mentality. Give the fruits of your activity. If you can't do that, do this. If you can't follow the regular principles. If you can't think of me continually smarnam, then follow the regular principles. If you can't follow the regular principles, well then try to help out. Try to help push forward those that are following and pushing forward spiritual life. Because they have my energy. Following those regular principles that gives you spiritual shakti. Yeah. So they can preach effectively. So if you can't do it and you see somebody is preaching and working effectively, then you serve them. Give the fruit of your activity. If you can't give the fruit of your activity to someone that's so situated, Krishna says what? Well, at least give the fruit of your activity to something that's for the betterment of humanity. At least get there. Let's start there. Don't continue to exploit for your own enjoyment. This exploitation will simply end in misery. It'll simply bind you. So at least give up, give up that mentality. Bhagavad Gita is so practical. 